Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the once daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear and then talk about it. My name's Nick. I'm Jordana. And Jeremy is still on vacation. And today we are looking over at our uh, bloated mailbag. Yeah, our absolutely Jabba the Hutt-esque mailbag. We have accumulated quite a few letters since we slowed down the letters segment, and also since we went on break, the letters have absolutely been pouring in. So, Mr. Mailbag, is, oh, I'm, I'm so... Oh, stop it. I'm oh, so glad Jordana. Jeremy's not here to continue your bit with you. Oh, oh Jordana, you have stop to... Stop it! It's so weird! And take out... <laughs> no take one out likes letters, this! Jordana, take out the letters from inside me, Jordana. Here, I'm opening <laughs> wide. Oh, reach into my gullet, Jordana. I've also changed his voice. Reach into I, my I don't gullet, care! It's still weird and I hate oh. it! <laughs> Just read a fucking letter. Jordana, please reach inside. He looks so unhappy. He's so uncomfortable. You have to ease his suffering by reaching your arm inside his gaping maw. Please, let's Jordana, let's pretend like gaping, I did that and you gaping, can read a letter. Gaping maw. All right. All right. So Jordana, I'm just going to do the stage direction. Jordana, trembling, reaches her arm toward the outstretched gullet of Mr. Mailbag. And he tenderly wraps the edges of his his sack around her finger and then sort of like nibbles his way up her arm. And then as his as his sack withdraws, he leaves a, a, a thick... <laughs> Slimy trail of mail? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A thick slobber. And Jordana's uh, fist, uh, clenched fist, is full of, uh, of moist letters. Ew, so gross. And the first one is from Ethan, who writes on page 472. Hi, pagers. I'm writing regarding your discussion on page 472, where you talked about your new cracked pot theory that Denna shivering after seeing the mayor is related to Denna, thinking that the mayor is somehow related to the emir or working counter to the efforts of her patron. I read this reaction quite differently, and I'm surprised that it wasn't mentioned in the episode. Before Quoth and Denna jump into the bushes to hide from the mayor, you all discussed that they were likely about to kiss before being interrupted. I believe that it is likely safe to say that they were both getting a bit pumped up with teen hormones and still have that interaction on their mind. Quoth tells Denna about the mayor by whispering in her ear. There are many people that find that kind of intimate closeness and somebody breathing in their ear arousing. I have always read Denna shivering as a continuation of their romantic attraction. Thanks for this extended years-long analysis of my favorite book, signed Ethan. And before we talk about it, I have there's a related episode from Graham who writes, Hello, friends. I just listened to page 472 and had to write in. You all had a really fascinating conversation, which stemmed from the theory that while Quoth mistakenly assumes that Denna shivers due to the cold, she may in fact have shivered in fear due to finding herself in the presence of the mayor or possibly Mellow and Lackless. However, I posit that the three of you, like Quoth, are missing something terribly obvious hiding in plain sight. Allow me to quote the passage. I turned and leaned close, breathing softly into Denna's ear. That's the mare, I said, and his young lady love. Denna shivered. Friends, Denna does not shiver because she is cold or scared. She shivers because she is super horny. Quoth, the object of her affections, has placed her lips a hair's breadth from her ear, an erogenous zone, and breathed softly the way a lover might, the way Denna hopes that Quoth will one day whisper intimacies to her. And Quoth, as always, is oblivious to Denna's cues. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Denna is horny for Quoth. Goodbye. Well, I guess, I guess this is a thing because because more than one person mentioned it, so it must be real. But I have never once shivered due to horniness. <laughs> like, 
not unless like you know in the act or something like like no one's like whispered in my ear and given me shivers so like it seems like a little a, like a little far-fetched but like i i accept that obviously this is a thing because more than one person is talking about it yeah i certainly think we were remiss to not notice it and i appreciate you pointing it out and you know you look for horses not zebras when you see hoof prints and this is a far more likely reason for her shivering than in fear. Although, since I am nursing on this read a theory that Mellow and Lackless is actually the cackling mastermind and is also her Okay, uh, wait, her the patron. horse is not zebra answer is neither her being afraid nor her being horny. The, the horse is not zebra answer is it's chilly. Okay, fine. So in this case... <laughs> uh, there are two zebras. Okay, fine. The zebras are the horniness and then uh, the ponies... Or what else has hooves? The goats. Goats probably have different hooves. I don't know. The secondary <laughs> one, the, the more likely but less far-fetched one is is that she's uh, horny. And then the, the more obvious one is that she's cold. Anyway, look, whatever. The point is, I hope it's that she's scared of Mellow and Lackless. Far more likely uh, what our kind readers said. Yeah, I, li- I like the... Uh... The like suspicious option of of Mellow and Lackless having like some nefarious doodads, but I also agree that it is probably more likely that uh, our our listeners are correct. Our next letter is from John. Oh, sorry, our magical friend John, who writes with a pot unsuitable for holding water. Hail! Listening to the commentary on page four fifty four regarding Mellow and Lackless and her age in relation to her stolen sister, and my mind jumped to this. After the Chandrian attack in Quoth's troop, Quoth spends time in the nearby woods until weather and hunger force him back to civilization. What if Quoth actually stumbled into the Fae at this point? That would allow Meloin to have grown up with her sister be, and be older than we would expect an aunt of Quoth to be. I don't recall this theory having floated beforehand, but I surely... I don't recall this theory having been floated beforehand, but surely I can't be the first to put it forward. Magically, John. Interesting. I would think that if Quoth goes into Fae, it, it would be an excuse to have less time pass rather than more time pass. Um, I think time but, just passes weird in the Fae. I'm not sure that it's less or more. It's just weird. Yeah, true. I wonder if it's based on like how far you travel because you know the moon moves in Fae as you move. So maybe time in Fae is, is attached to, to space. Mm-hmm. It'd be kind of neat. And so Quoth didn't move that much, I think. Space-time moon. Yep. But uh, a good theory. We shall keep it in mind as we uh, analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate the Page Indeed. of the Wind in the future. This is from our friend Patrick Not Rothfuss, who writes on page 477, The Thrice-Locked Chest. Hello, pagers. I think you missed something about the chest in your discussion today. Here is a quote from the page with added emphasis. Bast grinned and brought the hatchet down on the rounded peak of the chest. There was a strange, soft ringing noise, like a padded bell being struck in a distant room. Bast paused, then rained a flurry of angry blows down on top of the chest, first swinging wildly with one hand, then using both hands in great overhand chopping motions as if he were splitting wood. The bright leaf-shaped blade refused to bite into the wood, each blow turning aside as if Bast were attempting to chop apart a great seamless block of stone. This sounds to me like there is a modified version of the arrow catch built into the chest. The soft ringing noise seems like the trap is being triggered. It is muffled because it is inside the chest. From the flurry of blows, I suspect the mechanism is improved in a way that it rearms itself. 
Maybe it uses the momentum of one trigger to arm something on the other side. This could be another great example of something. This could be another great example of showing us something in one area and explaining somewhat how it works and then showing us what is possible. I also have one small note in this chapter. In the very beginning of the chapter, the main character is referred to as Quoth, but as soon as the mayor walks in, the mayor walks in, he becomes the innkeeper. As soon as he takes Bast upstairs and closes the door, he is once again Quoth and remains so throughout the end of the chapter when the mayor leaves. It seems like telling the story is making Coat the innkeeper feel more like a persona he can turn on at will. In earlier interludes, he would slip into Coat more frequently when not in the presence of the townsfolk. I would love to hear what you think of all this. Thanks, as always. Signed, Patrick, not Rothfuss. I'm going to move backwards through that because I'm I'm pretty sure we did talk about that, like the coat with the mayor thing. I'm almost positive we talked about that. That's like, come I up. I don't know if we like, did it on that like exact we page. We oh, definitely yeah, talked he's... about, yeah, we've definitely talked about uh, how the relationship between the character's coat and the character's quote and how one seems to be, you know, how quote seems to be on the page a little bit more often. And now the idea that he can do it at will is, is uh, I think, what Patrick is pointing out. Oh, that I prior, see. he was sort of, he was drifting back and forth. But now well, he seems I think to be able him to... switching, though, because of the mayor is not him doing it at will. I think it's just it being triggered by the mayor. Yeah, I think like when he's in his private moments, he can be quoth, but he is the innkeeper again when, when he doesn't have the privacy. Yeah, but that's not like him controlling that. That's just it happening. Right. Yeah. And I think it's good that you pointed out uh, we missed the idea there might be some sympathy going on uh, that's turning aside the kinetics. Um, I don't know if it would be an arrow catch or if it's some some other kind of sympathy. It definitely feels similar, Uh, though. Yeah, it does feel similar. Like, I like that idea a lot, and I'm... I'm sad that we missed it before because that's a really yeah, good idea. The muffled bell certainly speaks to the idea of a mechanism like the arrow catch. Um, although if Quoth was able to build an arrow catch that rearmed itself, that would be a perpetual motion machine, wouldn't it? That would not, that would not, like, not disperse any energy. That would be a real game changer. I, I mean, it's anything is possible. In the, It's true. So. Anything is possible because it's magic. Yeah. Woo, magic. No. Magic with rules, but still magic. Yes. If Jeremy were here, he would say, magic with rules is bad. And I would say, Jeremy. You're bad. You're wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you heard it here first. Jordana thinks Jeremy is bad. Um, <laughs> I think it is. Is that it for that letter? Another letter, perhaps? That's it for that letter. This letter is from Brad, who writes, what's in the box? Hi, Pagers. On page 477, you almost hit upon an interesting idea, so allow me to walk the last few steps. You were discussing what's in the box, and it could be Quoth's mojo, or Haliax's mojo, or both. The both idea is very interesting to me, because linking Quoth's power to Haliax's and putting them both in a box is in some ways an act of sympathy, as simple as the first time we saw Ben lift a coin. Rothfuss is always showing us the ways they... The ways that Quoth can cleverly use sympathy by creating 10 links at once or converting energy into matter or whatever ways to twist the rules. I would personally be very compelled by the story's climax coming down to a simple and self-sacrificing act. The last thing we'd expect from Quoth. Thanks for all the hard work. Signed, Brad. I like it. I like that read. I don't know that I have much more to say on that other than like, yes, good idea. (laughs) Yeah, the idea that... 
uh, Quoth has bound himself to Haliax in some way is new to me. Um, the idea that Haliax's curse is sympathetic is not new. I've read theories that uh, Celatos taking out his eye was a, a binding and that uh, the subject of the lackless box is the thing that holds the binding on Haliax, uh, keeping his curse going. Um, so maybe what might happen is Quoth opens the box and breaks the curse. So Haliax is free to do whatever he, he needs to do, or I guess it, die i don't it's not quite clear but opens the box the binding ends and quoth has to re redo the binding with a box that is even harder to open than the lackless box was um and uh if if the binding that Celatos put was uh was destroyed then quoth would have to do it himself and also uh it does kind of scan because quoth has seemingly, seemingly removed all his power from himself and so if he's sympathetically doing that, he's also removing the power from somebody else or something else. So that, that works. Thank you, Brad. Let's do one more. This letter is from Adam from North of Maine, who writes on page 406. Hi guys. Thanks for the podcast. I've been binging on your old shows. I have a crackpot theory for you. Codicus was trying to help the mayor. Rothfuss spent a lot of time in this book, setting up the fact that Quoth knows nothing of alchemy. We really haven't seen a payoff for this yet. What if Codicus was using alchemy to make his medicine for the mayor? Both would have just seen the poison going in and ran off, not realizing what was going on, like he always does. Quoth even remarks on what an idiot Codicus is for saying he must get the medicine to the mayor still warm, but Quoth knows nothing about alchemy. We could see the payoff from Quoth's mistake in the next book. We know the mayor has a history of getting well for a time, then getting sick again. What if he was just getting well on his own at the time Quoth steps in, and the next time he gets sick, he will die because no one is there to make more of his medicine? Anyway, just an idea. Thank you for the show. Signed, Adam from North of Maine. Hmm, that confuses me. (laughs) Quoth seems very confident that he's not looking at alchemy, but as you say, he knows nothing about it. I certainly am coming around to the idea that Quoth didn't have all the information when he started meddling with Codicus. Um, I certainly think I do think that Codicus was poisoning him, but I don't think he was trying to kill him. I think he was trying to keep him unwell and unable to govern. My my new theory is I think I've talked about this on the podcast that uh, the mayor is a warmonger. He was trying to get a war going. Uh, and what Quoth is doing, both by getting rid of Codicus and by clearing the roads of bandits, is he is uh, letting the mayor get to a place where he can actually start his war. Uh, and that is why Quoth will feel bad. Uh, and feel responsible because uh, through, without really understanding what he's done, he's feel feel responsible for the war and the the great slaughter. Mm. Um, so I I think that Quoth doesn't have all the information, and that by uh, chasing off Codicus, he is in fact causing a greater evil. Um, and so you know, uh, but you know, it could be something else. Also, it could be that he just doesn't We're have all the information. We're not going to get that until Dorsey's done anyway. Exactly. We're not going to get it. So. Um, but thank you for your letter. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we do appreciate uh, keeping the conversation going because, as uh, has been pointed out many times, we do not get every detail. Though that is our mandate, we are but simple folk. We are not up to the task. So we ask you, listeners, to please continue to send us letters and put them in the chute that travels through the walls down to Mr. Mailbag's waiting maw. He is still looking a little rotund. Uh, Jordana, you're going to have to go back uh, next Jeremy episode. Jeremy can do and it next pull time. Pull a few more letters out. Oh, but Jordana, you have such 
slender fingers, you can reach deep inside and get <laughs> Okay, wait. Before we close Mr. Mailbag, uh, I, <laughs> I have a very silly thing that uh, I need to know. Is North of Maine spelled M-A-N-E or M-A-I-N-E? It's M-A-I-N-E. It is. It is. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to say, we're also North of Maine, but we are not. We are not North of that Maine. <laughs> Very well, that is all. <laughs> all right. Uh, we two are north of Maine. I've no, we been are ne- not. That's what I'm saying. We're not we're, north of Maine. No, we're M-A-I-N-E, that Maine, the one that's in, uh, I don't know, it's north of Portland. It's somewhere in the States, somewhere close to New Brunswick. Um, that one, I think it's in Vermont. Is that right? I don't know. That one is north of us. Maine is, that Maine is north of us. The one that's south of us is M-A-N-E. There's a place called Maine that's south of us that's spelled M-A-N-E? Correct. It is uh, not in the state of New York, but in the one below it. Well, it, it, it is a state. A Maine, oh, Maine, M-A-I-N-E is a state. Anyway, we got an impromptu geography lesson that I was not prepared for. <laughs> uh, Neither was I, really. I just know that it's north of us. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, I guess we can start to uh, dox... <laughs> we can start to dox our, our listeners now we can start to, cr- to figure out where they're not and eventually uh, we'll show up at the door demanding mail tributes maybe we'll make them put their hand in the mailbag <laughs> <laughs> listeners you can reach your hand into the moist waiting gullet of Mr. Mo- mailbag Mr. Mailbag in Maine on another page of the Wind. Wind. <laughs>